Good morning. What a sweet baptism. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to invite you to open them up to Psalm 118. We've got one verse to look at this morning. Psalm chapter 118, verse 24. If you have your Bibles, please join me there. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, we desire to see you. We desire to know you. Lord, I pray that all of us gathered here would have a real and genuine encounter with you. Lord, that we would be fully present in this moment to receive what it is that you desire to give to us this day. Lord, we're thankful for Christ who makes a way always. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. When I was growing up, my sister and I had a whiteboard in our bedroom, and on it, my mother had written several verses that really took up the entire whiteboard. Uh, She wrote several scripture verses on it, and each morning, she would walk into our bedroom, and she would grab my hand, and she would grab my sister's hand, and we would stand together, and we would say this specific set of verses together each morning. There wasn't a morning that passed in my childhood that this did not take place. And my mom was always such a big proponent of teaching the importance of proclaiming what we believe. The very first verse at the top of our whiteboard was Psalm 118:24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And although I do not stand with my mom and my sister in the mornings and recite these many verses she called our attention to anymore, I do find myself often reciting this verse in my mind at some point in my morning, whether it's right whenever I wake up or while I'm driving here to the church, and even sometimes whenever I'm dropping off Seth, we'll say this verse together in the car before he gets out. I'd like to invite you to join me this morning as we sit with this verse and we unpack it a little. Really, we're going to unpack it a lot more than just a little because there's a lot of unpacking to do in one verse. And there's a a lot of unpacking, more than even one sermon or 100 sermons could ever hope to unpack with this verse, because you really could spend your entire life studying this one verse. My hope is for you to hear God speak to you today, and my hope is for you to really encounter God on this day that God has made. I'd like to begin by parsing out this verse and slowing down the pace by which we read these words. The first word in verse 24 is this. It directly calls our attention to what is present and what is at hand. It draws our attention to something not too far off, something real, something each one of us can behold. I love the definition of the word this that the dictionary provides. 
It's used to identify a specific person or thing close at hand or being indicated or experienced. This is the day the Lord has made. This day is something you are meant to experience. And it's something that each one of us already are experiencing. King David, who authored the psalm, calls us to see a reality that we're all steeping in, to literally see the water that each one of us are swimming in, this. So what is the this that David is referring to here? This is the day the Lord has made. And the word day is one I want us to stick with for a while. This verse challenges me often, and it's so easy for me to rejoice in my day when things are going well, and when all of my family and friends are happy and healthy. And I also have to be very honest with you. There are days that sometimes feel more like nightmares. And other days that I wish would hurry up and be over. And there are some days that I find it very difficult to rejoice and be glad in. And I would be willing to bet that the same is true for you. So what kind of day is this scripture referring to? Is David referring to an actual 24-hour period? Or is he talking about a deeper reality? Or could he be talking about both? There are plenty of times I've heard this scripture misused in my life. I've heard it used as an attempt to convince people to receive the sometimes negative events of their day as events that something God intended to happen. You often hear everything happens for a reason, and God somehow gets blamed for the evil that happens in the days and lives of those we love, or even in our own. Somehow along the way, I've witnessed this is the day the Lord has made to mean everything that happens in my day was planned to by the detail and orchestrated by God, and I need to rejoice no matter what that means. I do not believe this is how this verse was intended to be interpreted. A whole book of the Bible is dedicated to lamenting. God knows it can be difficult to rejoice. So I want to dig in quite a bit and pick up a magnifying glass and give this verse an even closer look. My Old Testament professor in divinity school always told us to read scripture backwards and forwards, forwards and backwards, because each part informs the other. We can understand the New Testament by reading the Old Testament and vice versa, and I have found her wisdom to be timeless wisdom. When each of us even consider our own lives, we look at the past to make sense of the present and then to hope for a future. We naturally look backwards and forwards, forwards and backwards, even in our own lives. And scripture is the story of our lives. It's the story of our relationship with God. So I want us to go all the way back to the beginning, to the first day that God ever created the first day God created was spoken into existence by God and was called good. Upon closer reading, you can see in Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, it says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and the light he called day. Did you catch it? God created light and named it day. 
And the day God made was inherently good and named so by its creator, its good creator, God. So if we look back at our scripture this morning, we can already read it with a little more depth. So I'm going to replace the word day with light. This is the light God has created. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I love reading this verse in this way because for me, the light God has made is something to rejoice in. One of my favorite authors says, Light is less something you see directly and more something by which you see all other things. And of course, John reminds us as far as light is concerned, darkness doesn't stand a chance. It's John chapter 1, verse 5 that says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. I want to pause right here and say that this is powerful truth for our lives. This is the light God has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it that we have, by the power of God, been given a new promise and a new reality that whatever kind of darkness is happening in our lives, it cannot compete with God. One commentator drew my attention to the scene of Jesus' resurrection in Luke chapter 24, and it helped further an understanding for me of the type of day and light that Psalm 118.24 is referring to. It's also referring to an eternal day and an eternal light, one beyond 24 hours. At the resurrection scene, the women went to the tomb early in the morning with spices to prepare Jesus' body. They went at the beginning of the day. When they arrived, they saw the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty. The commentator said, Their visit early in the morning helps draw our attention to the newness of the eternal light, of the eternal day, which shines from the resurrected Christ. There is a new reality, a new day. Death no longer has the final say because of the dawn of the eternal Easter light. We are people who worship a God who was raised from the dead, who has made a way for us this day. We are a people who will still experience hellish things in our day, and we will not be overcome by them because of Christ. If you remember, it is Jesus who in John chapter 8, verse 12 says, I am the light of the world. In this regard, we can think of Psalm 118, 24 with even more depth. If Christ is the light and shines an eternal light on us because of salvation, we can read this verse to say, This is the light, Christ, salvation, rescue plan, redemption, God has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Jesus is the light of the world, and in essence, Christ is the day God has sent, and each one of us have the opportunity to rejoice and be glad in this truth. God hasn't given up on us. We have the opportunity to be glad for the way God made salvation possible for us through Christ. That literally whatever darkness you are facing in your life, whatever kind of nightmare you might be experiencing right now, it will not have the final say in your life because we are Easter people and because we have hope in Christ. Whatever kind of darkness you feel crippled by, whatever kind of darkness you have felt crippled by for years, it's going to lose. It will not win. 
We love and serve a God who will not abandon us, who will descend to the depths for us, and who is a master at hovering over chaos because that's what the Holy Spirit did before God spoke light at creation. One who is a master at hovering over chaos and bringing light and love into our lives. And this is the day that God has made. And let us rejoice and be glad in it. For some of us gathered here today, it can be very hard to see God. And maybe you're going through a situation that's darker than one you've ever been through. Maybe you're faced with uncertainty and are wondering where God might be. I want to encourage you and share with you that while you may be unable to rejoice in a particular season of your life, others are willing to walk alongside of you and be the light of Christ in your life. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus, who is the light, says to us, You are the light of the world. The very light by which we see all things, Christ calls us light. You are the light of the world. God has created you to bear the image of God and to be a conduit of the light which shines in the darkness. One of the darkest times in my life was whenever I was a freshman in college. And I will never forget the early morning phone call I received from my dad that morning, sharing with me that my mom had had a brain aneurysm and was in ICU. She spent over a month in ICU, and I spent the last part of my freshman year in college driving from UNC Charlotte with my sister to Winston-Salem, checking on her and my dad while trying to finish my classes. I will never forget the way I was surrounded by the light of my church family at the time, my friends and my mentors. They were bright lights for me in my life who, when I couldn't rejoice, rejoiced for me and pointed me towards Christ. They reminded me that the difficult season I found myself in would not have the final say in my life, and I needed them. And I'm thankful to stand here today to share that my mom recovered over time. Praise God she recovered over time, although life for her and life for our whole family was changed forever. I'm thankful to this day for the many people who allowed God to speak through them into my life and give me hope through the, a very real, dark time in my life. As a youth minister, it is my passion to surround young people with as many caring adults who can be bright lights for them as possible. You all have heard me say this before, but it's worth saying again that studies show that for a young person to grow up and be successful, they need to be surrounded with at least five adults and have significant relationship with those five adults. Some of the five can be parents, while others can be teachers, coaches, counselors, youth pastors. It's my hope to surround each and every single one of the youth who walk through our doors with adults who care about them and adults who can be bright lights for them. And honestly, whether they walk through our doors or not, it is my hope that each young person in our community would be surrounded with caring adults who can shine bright lights for them on their life and on their path to point them to Christ. Growing up, I had the faith of my mother and the many adults in my youth ministry who surrounded me and carried me through the challenges of middle school, high school, and college. If I hadn't had that firm foundation set for me whenever I was young, I do not know how I would have responded to my mother's aneurysm, how I would have had 
been able to make it through high school or how I would have been able to have any kind of hope in middle school. I heard a youth ministry podcast recently that shared that studies are showing the fastest group, the fastest growing group of agnostics are in middle school. And to be an agnostic for those who need a reminder means to be a person who doesn't claim faith or belief in God. It's amazing to me the opportunity that each of us have to grab hold of the truth that David is talking about here and so desperately wants us to see. Are you conscious of this opportunity? That you are a bright light for this opportunity. That this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I love how this verse ends with a call to be glad in it. Brothers and sisters, this is the water that we're swimming in. We have hope. We have a lot of hope. We are children of a God who took on flesh and entered into our darkness. We are the children of light, the one who is more powerful than sin, more powerful than death. We are what 1 Thessalonians 5 calls us, children of the light and hope for all the world. Have you surrendered to this truth? Have you surrendered the darkest places in your life to Christ because it truly is a surrendering. It is an allowing from our side that whatever is crippling you, whatever is hard, whatever you don't want to look at, whatever it is that you're avoiding, whatever it is that haunts you, surrender it. Don't fight it anymore. Don't carry it with you as baggage anymore. Let it go. Because Christ is your hope. The light of Christ lives in the people who are sitting around you. The light of Christ is present in this room. And the light of Christ desires to rush into your life, into your heart, to transform everything into clean house. We will still experience hellish things. But when we build our lives on the foundation that Christ wins, who or what can come against us, we live a different kind of life. We live a life that can't be touched in the deepest place because Christ lives there. It's my hope that our church, Weddington United Methodist, would be able to truly collapse, to raise its hands up, to collapse, to surrender to our identity as the loved children of God. And may we experience a time of rejoicing and a time of gladness because salvation is here Christ is here. Hope is here. Death no longer wins. The darkness will not overpower Christ. Jesus laid his life down for you. Please, before you leave this place, lay your life down. Lay it down. Quit trying to do it on your own. Surrender and receive with gladness and with joy this day, this reality this water that we're swimming in. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Communion is a time for us to reflect upon Jesus.
and what Jesus did during the Last Supper with his disciples. And here he is in the upper room trying to get the disciples to see what he was going to do. That he was going to have a body that was broken, have a body that was going to be fitting blood for them, for the forgiveness of their sins. But they didn't quite understand. For Jesus had not been arrested yet. He had not been crucified. But in that grace of what happened in the days ahead, when he did experience that, there was the grace that followed those disciples that led them into a greater awareness and a deeper intimacy with this Jesus who loved them so much that he got died on the cross for their sins. And then it was resurrection. And in that, they saw grace too. And from that, their lives were transformed. The Spirit moved in them. And from that, they were no longer as they once were in the upper room. They were changed disciples. You see, when we come to communion, we too are changed. We don't totally understand Jesus, do we? If someone says, I've got that nailed down pat, please speak to me. Because no one has it down pat. We're all on our journey, struggling together, wanting to experience Jesus more so. So when you come this time of communion, come with an open heart. This communion is open to all, including children. We encourage the parents with young children to help them. But as we come to this time of communion, let us open ourselves to the light of Christ. It's the light of Christ that's going to be present to enlighten us in our darkness. It's the light of Christ that's going to bring to us grace that moves us into a deeper relationship with Jesus as we confess our sins and know that we are forgiven. This time of communion is a time for us to indeed claim who we are, and whose we are. When we have communion here at the United Methodist Church, we do so by intention. You just hold out your hand. The server will give you a piece of bread into your hand, and then at that point, you'll take the bread and dip it into the cup. As I said, all are welcome, and as you come to this time of communion, if you need gluten-free, we have that right here as well. Let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you so much indeed for what this service